Today's episode is Swedish Pancakes Taste of Victory. Okay. And we're recording. Okay. Hello, and uh, welcome to Dinner with Nate, uh, where each week I share a recipe provided by my guest uh, that I've never made before. And uh, we also uh, then discuss a movie, usually one of my favorites that they've never seen before. So my guest today is a longtime friend. He is a father of two, a husband of one, a tabletop gamer, a musician, and an Edward R. Murrow Award winner for his Baltimore-based documentary series, Out of the Blocks, which you can find on most of the major pod services. This is my pal, Aaron Hankin. How's it going? Greetings. Hello, Nate. And hello, all of your dedicated listeners to your very first episode of this podcast. You did a great job setting it up. I feel like it's going really well for you so far. Great. We're like 15 seconds. <laughs> you've, given your, you've given your listeners a clear sense of what to expect. You've, <laughs> you've introduced your guest. You've sort of laid out your reason for, not, not, you haven't, not to my satisfaction. Why are you doing this? Why, are you, why start a podcast now at this point in your life, in your career? Let's see. Boredom? Um, some somewhat uh, boredom. Uh, um, let's see. Uh, being being whoa. <laughs> Are you getting a FaceTime message from one of your children? Uh, maybe. Um, uh, being at home uh, during this pandemic, um, uh, and 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 basically being the main cook in the house. I've run out of cooking ideas and I need uh, some more recipes from friends of mine that like to cook at home also. And um, I feel like maybe some of my friends have, uh, and, and just, just people I know have uh, run out of things to watch also, who have also been like binging things this entire time. So uh, I think it's, a, it'll be like a little trade off of uh, new things to eat, new movies to watch. It's and, a good uh, excuse to just talk to an old friend, too. This, I, I feel like I don't, haven't been doing that well. This is, yeah. I was really excited to be given this invitation. It's like you can, that, mean, that, that way gave me permission to set aside this sacrosanct time just to talk about whatever Nate is going to throw at me. I threw you a curveball for this episode because you want to, it's, it's sort of the premise is dinner in a movie, but I give you a breakfast recipe. Yep. Uh, breakfast for dinner. Or have some Brenner tonight. Um, yeah. Um, so let's let's talk about this recipe that you gave me. Yeah. Um, you want me to lay it out for the listeners? Yeah. Yeah. The, the Swedish pancakes. In Swedish pancakes. Grandma Johnson. Now, I the way I delivered this recipe to your host Nate, listeners. Nate, what I'm doing right now is sort of an aside to speaking directly to the listeners of the podcast. Take note here. (laughs) Listeners, I want to tell you what I did. I sent Nate, I didn't type up a recipe or send him a web link to a recipe. This is, I photographed this three by five note card that's been in my family for decades and is covered with coffee and my mother's vodka and whatever else has sort of splashed on it over the years. The tears of many people, I'm sure, in d- drunken holiday moments. Swedish pancakes, I remember being served at the holidays at my grandfather, grandparents' house since my er- as early, as, as far back as I can remember as a child. And my grandmother would always make them, although it was my grandpa who was Swedish. 
she did this, I think, just to honor him that she, this was her recipe. And um, I don't know if really they're any good from a, a, like a, a purely objective standpoint, if they're anything special. But to me, this recipe, when I make them, and it's sort of like a rite of passage in your, my family, when you get sort of entrusted with the recipe. It wasn't, they, it wasn't handed down to my mother. It was given to my dad, my Jewish dad then from my grandmother. And he, and then eventually I sort of inherited the recipe. And then the tech, and it's a technique that takes, it's always a work in progress because that it, it involves, well, it involves a very thin batter that has lots of butter in it. Or to a crepe. Yep. It's, yeah, it's like a crepe. It is, except more boring than a crepe because there's nothing inside it. It's like a crepe. It, it, this, is the, this is the Scandinavian in it. Let's take a crepe, which is a beautiful idea, but then remove any possible flavorful filling and just roll up the random crepe. It'd be like taking a burrito, being like, this burrito is delicious. What if we just rolled up the tortilla with nothing in it? That would be good too, wouldn't it? And we'll call it a Swedish pan. We'll call it a Swedish burrito. That's what a Swedish pancake is, a crepe with nothing in it. Um, but you make this thing, you have to swirl it in this uh, special crepe skillet that you have to get really hot. And the first one always sticks to the skillet and makes a total royal mess out of everything. But then the skillet gets hot enough and it gets greasy enough that you start work, these things start doing what they're supposed to do. And there's a whole, you feel very proud when you get the finesse of being able to flip it. The one side is done, but it's so paper thin. You just have to, you have to scoop it and flip it. And then you have to, once both sides are done just right, you get your uh, sort of flat, um, long, thin, flat spatula in there and you, you twirl it around the spatula to get this uh, proper cylindrical form. And uh, when it's all said and done, you end up with a huge batch. At yeah. least the recipe that, that I have makes way I, more I, than you need. I only made half of, uh, I made half a batch because like, <laughs> there's no way I need this many. <laughs> right. And then the only, really what redeems them is that once they're made, you can then just totally drench them in maple syrup, put lots and lots of whipped cream on them, blueberries, strawberries. They were initially, Swedish, ban, Swedish pancakes are traditionally served with lingonberries, which again, leave it to the Swedes. We don't need to go there. No, no one needs to punish themselves like that. Well, you, once you've made the Swedish pancake, the, the work is done, the hard part is over, and you can put good stuff on top of them. Mm-hmm. So I, that, that's my, uh, my, que- my first question for you mm-hmm. is, uh, how many times did you burn your hands on the metal handle of your crepe skillet? And uh, number two, how many ended up uh, torn apart and in the sink? I actually did not screw any of them up. I didn't oh. end up with any of them in the sink. Um, and I only burn my hands while rolling them. Yeah, that's the I, thing. Yeah, the the the. I actually just used a regular cast iron skillet. Oh, okay. Because uh, uh, I do not have a crepe pan, um, but it, uh, I don't know which would have been easier. But um, yeah, uh, it definitely the cast iron thing worked well. They're huge. How, they are. How huge. thin were you able to get them? Pretty paper thin. I was like, I, I almost crepe thin. I would yeah. pour it in and, you know, swirl it around mm-hmm. nice and thin. Um, 
but uh, because it's a it's a big cast iron skillet, they're huge. They're like uh, they're like twelve inches long. <laughs> yeah, you know, so they're they're big. Um, you're looking at something about the size of a record album. When yeah, it, when it when you're trying to flip it, definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they turned out pretty good. I haven't tasted them yet. I do have them sitting here. I did make a uh, a berry sort of compote jazz kind of thing to put on top of it. Nice. Good uh, for you. On your suggestion. And some, you know, breakfast sausage on the side. Yes. They're great with sausage. And let me tell you, they are also good microwaved the oh. next day. So that's when you make a batch as big as that recipe calls for, you're going to be eating them for several days. It was smart of you to make a half batch. I, you know, you are a man of a certain culinary expertise. I'm, I, I'm realizing now that we're speaking about this, that I've given, I, I sort of brazenly gave a dessert recipe to someone who was worked as a sort of a professional dessert chef and baker at, for a while. Uh, yes, but um, I have always sucked at making anything like a crepe. Um, so I was a little worried about doing this. Um, but the this batter is much easier to deal with than uh, other uh, similar, like I've never made Swedish pancakes, but like crepe batter. Like this mm-hmm. worked really well. And uh, thanks to Grandma Johnson, apparently. So no one's taste tested it yet? You haven't tried it on, to feed it to your kids nope. or anything? I'm going to taste it in just a second, though. Uh, the kids, it's a little early here because, you know, you're on, <laughs> you're on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast. But, um, uh, yeah, they, they will have some in maybe like 40 minutes or something. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I'm just keeping them warm in the oven for them. Um, but, yeah. A lot of it's in the presentation. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just going to just going to go over the recipe real quick so that, you know, listeners can maybe try this out at home, right? This is the how to part of the podcast. How to. So Swedish pancakes, grandma Johnson, uh, her recipe given to me by Aaron Hicken. Um, you first, this is the full, this is the full order. Not, not the half as I did it. So you need six eggs, two tablespoons of sugar, and one teaspoon of salt, and you beat that all together in a bowl with uh, preferably an electric mixer. Uh, After that is nice and mixed together, you add one quart of milk and beat that together. Then you will add two and a quarter cups of flour and beat that in there. And you're going to end up with something that's so thin, it's like... Mm -hmm it doesn't look like it could make anything that's even going to hold together in a pan. Yep. <laughs> but don't despair. Don't despair. Um, and then you will melt one stick of margarine. The bu- and Now, okay, that's a generational thing. I know. I use butter because I just didn't have margarine in my house. But yeah, you- Don't use margarine. Use butter. So mud- margarine or butter. That uh, may just be what my grandmother called butter. Well, my, my grandmother used margarine all the time, too. I, what is margarine? Like oil turned into like a butter shape. <laughs> it's artificial butter. Yeah, basically. It's just, it's just like oil. Um, it's like, I guess it's like, well, would it be like Crisco? I'm not sure. But uh, <laughs> something like that. It's vegetable. Avoid it. Vegetable. Yeah, don't don't uh, use artificial butter. 
Um, so then you, then you put in that melted butter and beat that well. And then you've got sort of a, a, a thin, but kind of, mine was kind of frothy. Is that normal? Like, well, yeah, when you beat it in an electric beater, it's going to have that, it's going to have like a head on it, like a beer. <laughs> okay. So that was correct then. Okay. And then, then the way to do this, you need an iron skillet or a crepe pan, uh, which would also be most likely made out of cast iron. Um, you got to grease that thing really well um, because these things will stick. Um, you heat it pretty hot and then i and then it says to, to bake it at medium heat and i'm glad i asked aaron this because it's you do not bake it it does not go in the oven you do this totally on your uh stovetop um, yeah that might be my grandmother's word for what what would you say fry it i i don't know um oven top not in the oven though that's very important yeah get that get it, have it on a burner the burner nice and hot skillet nice and greasy uh-huh. And uh, you pour, I, I was just pouring it straight from the bowl and then kind of swirling the pan around to get it to just thinly coat the total bottom of the pan. And now that's what, this is where the real finesse comes in. And this is where like chess, this is a recipe you can learn in a, in a, in an hour, but it will take a lifetime to master because even the terminology, you heard Nate talking about swirling that uh, thin batter around in the pan. I wouldn't say swirling. Swirling is for amateurs, people. <laughs> once you get big, now look, swirl if you need to, but once you're ready, what you really do is you almost, in the same motion that a hula hoop has, when it's sort of gyroscopically moving around a skilled person's pelvis, Words. like that's, huh? Or a tilt-a-whirl. Or a tilt-a-whirl. It's that sort of a motion that you need to uh, master with your, with your skillet to get that batter sort of not sliding, but just letting gravity work its sort of orbital effect. Yeah, I would be yeah, at that. I think swirling was the wrong word that I chose for that. <laughs> um, yeah. And... Uh, they they do once you get it nice and thin in the pan they do cook relatively quickly yes uh, because they are so thin and the pan so hot so you got to be ready to get that little thin spatula under there to 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 pull them off and they they come off quite easily actually i didn't i think i only had one kind of stick which was which was nice um right. you can slide that spatula around underneath there just to make sure you've dislodged it Mm -hmm. And then you can just lift directly up and, and then over. Yeah. Flip them over. Um, give them a little time on the other side and then you roll them up really quickly. Um, and most likely will burn your fingers in the process, but uh, <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I just kept throwing them in like a 200 degree oven, uh, just in a minute thing to keep them warm while I was making more. Cause it's, and that wasn't even in the recipe. Was it? That no. was pure position. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to say it probably took me a half an hour to make, you know, 12 of them. So, mm -hmm. wow. Um, that and some sauce, side of sausage or bacon, have right. lots of syrup on hand and, you're, and some berries and whipped cream and you're ready to rock and roll. Right. Well, now I, I, well, I better taste it, right? I got it. Yes, I, wanna, I want your, Here. this is real 
time now. Oh, and I, and I, listen, podcasters, we're on, we're communicating via Zoom right now. So I can actually look at this screen and visually, I can paint a picture with words here for you listeners. It's a, it's a nice golden hue, yellowish golden. He's got a sort of a purple compote on there. He's taking a bite. He's chewing. He looks contemplative. His eyes are closed. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're good. I like, you know, I don't like super sweet breakfast stuff anyway. And these are like, I think I could, I could eat them without the sauce on them too. Cause I'm, it's just like, they're nice and thin. And, uh, but yeah, the sauce adds some sweetness and some tartness to it. Cause it's got like raspberries and stuff in there, but, um, yeah, good texture. Like yeah. They're, if they're done right, they're kind of spongy, mm-hmm. a little bit spongy. Yeah. Um, yeah, left, oh. yeah. More spongy than a, than like a French crepe. Um, I was actually trying to figure out what, I think there's, there's more flour in a, mm. like a crepe than in these. This is a, I don't know. Maybe it gets its bounciness from from the egg in it more than the more than the flour. There is half a dozen eggs in it. Yeah, which is yeah, yeah. I think that's probably a. I think you've made a, a an astute scientific observation. You could probably pull. I mean, they've, there's some elasticity to these things. They could probably, you know, <laughs> you could probably stretch one out if you needed to. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Classic that. Swedish cuisine, um, as as uh, as unornam- un- unornamented and generally flavorless as uh, as can be designed. Uh, sort of the anyone who's been to IKEA furniture, however, has had a, a Swedish pancake, so it's obviously nothing that exotic, but special it, to me, and uh, you know, fun to make. About functionality. Right. Functionality. Yeah. You can, it's actually a modular breakfast that you can screw together with an Allen wrench. Uh, and that will sort of crumple into a heap of particle board within a year or two, if you leave it, you know, sitting out long enough. Uh, I, I, I will probably make this recipe again in the future. Uh, My dear departed grandma and grandpa would be proud. Good. And um, uh, hopefully my kids like it too. I don't see why they wouldn't. You put enough j- syrup and jam and, and whipped cream on something and they're going to love it. Yeah, it's fine. Um, okay. So now let's talk about uh, the movie that uh, I assigned you to watch. Um, now uh, we will definitely have spoilers probably discussing this movie. So uh, if uh, listeners, you would like to watch this movie before we discuss it, uh, the movie is called Victory. It came out in 1981. With I think an exclamation point. An after exclamation point. And for some reason, it's, it's actual full title is Escape to Victory, but I think that was not what it was promoted as in the United States. Uh, first, I'll give a little synopsis of this, of what this movie is about. And then, uh, then we'll go from there. So, uh, this is a movie directed by John Huston. Uh, Why does that name sound familiar? What else did he direct? He's done tons of stuff, actually. Um, Action movies? He did, let's see. 
Um, Here, I'll let you read the synopsis and I'll look up what he did. Okay, you do that. Okay, so uh, basically, Victory, starring Michael Caine, Sylvester Stallone, Pele, and Max, Max von Sydow. <laughs> so the head of a German POW camp, soccer enthusiast Carl von Steiner, which is played by Max von Sydow, organizes a match between Nazi players and their allied captives. Orchestrated as a way to push the Third Reich agenda, the high-profile game is set to feature an international team led by John Colby, Michael Caine, a veteran player from, uh, that played for West Ham United, while the team, uh, which also includes Luis Fernandez, played by Pele, of Trinidad, uh, trains for the match with Robert Hatch, played by Sylvester Stallone, which um, I don't understand. He's, he's, he's American, but he enlisted in the Canadian military or something. That, that's his backstory. <laughs> So, yeah, that's how he ended up along with all the Brits and okay. other internationals in this German POW camp. Yes. So they're going to play uh, a football soccer game uh, against uh, the German national team in France and then uh, try to coordinate a, an escape from uh, from being POWs during World War II. That's basically the synopsis of this movie. And it's one of my favorites from when I was a kid. Um I think it was on HBO constantly when I was a kid and uh, it's an interesting one to go back and watch as an adult. <laughs> Understandably. So, yeah, I can see how this, this movie would appeal to, you know, an 11, 12, 13 year old and also to a random middle-aged man who's never seen it as well. I loved this movie. I thought it was fantastic. Good. I was, you know, I got, I thought that I thought I was going to be given movies, you know, that had, you know, some some kind of cult value or kitsch value or ironic value, and and you know, this one is 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 obviously dated, and and just but that is secondary to the fact that it's just a it's a good story, and it has it has Sylvester Stallone sort of in a challenging role, I guess I would say because. Mm -hmm. He's sort of that macho tough guy, but he's also like, he's a little bit bullied by the Brits uh -huh. because he kind of sucks at soccer. And he's like, hey, you gonna let me on this team or what? And Michael Caine is like, we'll talk to you later. And, and so he just keeps getting blown off by all these sort of gentlemanly soccer players. But meanwhile, you know, we know him as like the guy who could just sort of, you know, dismantle all of them in a room, you know, without a weapon. Yeah, I, I like I, I wrote down while watching this. I I think this might be Stallone's most annoying character that he's ever played before. <laughs> like yeah, like like he's so obnoxious and annoying. And I feel like Michael Caine felt like that in real life, watching his reactions to him. I I feel like he was just like, why is this guy in this movie? Like he just yeah. he, like constantly annoyed with him. Um, and his like. Yeah, he he just struts around every, I mean, so eventually I should tell, we should tell listeners he makes it onto the team initially as their physical trainer, right? which is the guy who's going to, you know, toughen them up. They all, the, these POWs, they, you know, once the game is official and that they're going to do it and they need to train, 
they bargain to get better rations, to get their own little sort of quarters in the POW camp so they can really train like a, like a proper Brit, you know, European football squad. And, and during this training regimen is when, you know, um, we're treated to the, the, to scenes of Sylvester Stallone, like making them do these homoerotic, like team building push up and pull up exercises. <laughs> Oh, the, yeah, the whole uh, the the two man sit up thing where they're like yeah. sitting on top of the other guy's knees doing sit ups. I was like, oh. right. Um, <laughs> and yeah, they're all sort of teabagging each other while, <laughs> while Sylvester Stallone is like, come on, dad, don't give up. <laughs> the soccer team sort of screwed up his ex- escape plan right. because the guards that he had been watching uh, for for months. And he had like a passport and everything. He was, you know, he was ready to break out. So they changed the guards and it messed up his whole, his whole setup. So he's like, you guys got to let me on because this is my only other way out. Cause he knows that the team is sort of planning to possibly escape as a team when they go to play this game. Right. Which we should say, I guess the, the game is uh, scheduled is slated to be in Paris, German occupied Paris. Right. At uh, let's see, what, uh, Cologne, Stade yeah. de Cologne, right? Yes, this is like Hogan's Heroes, but like not funny. There's like, there's like these, there's there's this like military hierarchy in the POW camp, where you know you've got the these colonels that like dictate who who's allowed to escape. And yeah, they have their own bureaucracy. It's the most gentlemanly bureau, the POW camp. Yeah. Um, and uh they they uh take his passport that he had doctored so he could uh escape and hold it uh sort of for ransom uh saying he has to escape go to france meet up with the french resistance to organize a way to uh get the team to be able to escape during the game Right. So never, he goes out there. He just wants to get out, but he agrees to do this. And he goes out there. He meets the French resistance, the underground, including a sexy brunette who he has this text, this uh, sexual tension with, but is, it isn't consummated, even though he stays over at her uh, hideout um and then sort of bids her a mournful uh soulful farewell the next day when he then has to get himself rearrested so that he's brought back to the same detention camp but with the important information now to share from the french resistance right which seems just ludicrous also it, it, him breaking out of the of the pow camp i was just like man it must have been really easy to break out of these pow camps. <laughs> no right he pulled like hold it up to the side of the car as it drove, drives through the gate. Brilliant. Yeah, it was like he didn't even get he didn't even bother to get underneath and like hold on to the underside carriage of the car. He just like held on to the side of the car that was opposite the guard booth. Yeah, and that sufficed. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah. they make it. What do we want to? How far do we want to divulge into the the movie? Let me let me ask you a question. Yeah. Obviously, they make it to a culminating match. They're there. It's Paris. Um, uh, although the stands are, um, it, the stands have got a lot of German military people in it, but also a lot of sort of occupied subjects of Paris, citizens, yeah. 
Paris, who are sort of under German rule at the moment. Um, how did you find, um, so I should say at this point, Sylvester Stallone has to uh, become goalkeeper because uh, one of the other, the goalie uh, is out of commission. We won't go into the details for why. I was also I was traumatized by that as a kid, but anyway, we're yeah. Um, so he's he ends up in goalie mm-hmm. playing, and they're, it's basically like the German national team, basically all the best German soldiers who played in the Bundesliga. We're supposed yeah. to assume, yeah. and then this the best POWs they could scrounge together, who were you know from various different squads, and yeah. some which they managed. <laughs> For the Germans to release from concentration camps, right? They were like, the the Poles and the Eastern yeah. Europeans, and, and they were like, "We don't know if we can do this." And you know, and Michael Caine was like, "We won't play you if you don't." Yeah. And they were like, "Okay." So now, and and they had those guys were real skinny, and they had to feed them lots of rations and like delouse them and stuff. Right. But now, now they're on the team too. Nonetheless, they still need Stallone in goal. Right. How did you, uh, I know you're a, a soccer aficionado, an enthusiast. Uh, how, what did you make of his, uh, his playing, his, as, as his goalkeeping? Well, um, the, the, the train ride to, to Paris, when they're on the train, he just keeps asking Michael Caine, where do I stand during a corner kick? And no one will right. give him this answer. So that's basically... That's the extent of his goalkeeping ability. He doesn't even know what to do in that situation. Um, it was written into the movie that he didn't know how to play soccer. So it wasn't like we were trying to pull off some uh, scenario where the actor was, you know, he didn't have to act. His acting skill obviously would not have turned him into a believable soccer player. So, but, he gets his ass handed to him in the first half of the game. He's, oh, he yeah. lets in like four or five goals. He's got a bloody nose, like gets yeah. his face while he's on the ground. They were, it was, they were playing against the Nazis. What do you expect? And the ref, the refs in their pocket too, you know? Right. Right. Um, but, um, like my, (laughs) I, you know, you, you always know that if Pele's in a movie, there's gotta be, there has to be a necessary bicycle kick segment at some point. Um, yeah, we got to see a couple from him. Yeah. Um, there's a, there, there's a, there's a long, um, sort of bicycle kick sequence at some point that was his thing it had to be it's his done thing. in it's it's really showcased it's put into slow motion you get your pele moment yeah then it's halftime though mm-hmm. the pow team is disastrously behind they but they did score one morale boosting go, goal so they go back to their dressing room their their locker room at halftime and um are waiting for the french resistance who have been tunneling underneath the stadium for like, I'm assuming all day. <laughs> and then <laughs> and there's at least take a day. Yeah. At least a day. And, uh, and, and they're going to come up through the, the showers in, in uh, their locker room. Um, so needless to say, uh, this happens. A hole appears in, in like the soaking pool, um, a ladder, and uh, and the Frenchman uh, pops his head up through and says, "Okay, let's go." Um, so the team <laughs> all gets down in the sewer, and somehow two players quickly convince Michael Caine that they can win the game and they should go back. Alone <laughs> is not on board with this at all. Right. Um, 
but <laughs> it it was a it's a very quick turn of events. Michael Caine's like, wait, we can totally win this game. We could escape, or we could go finish playing a soccer game in occupied France. Um, they convinced Stallone that he has to come back with them because if he doesn't, they'll know something's up. So they so go. The team, yeah, they there's some there's like a rousing moment of conscience and pride and sort of humanity at its best while they're all sort of deciding whether or not to climb back out of this tunnel and go on for the second half where it's, you know, we, this is for, this is a victory. It'll be a victory for everyone. If we escape, it'll be a victory for us. But if we win the game, it'll be a victory for everyone. That's right. Yeah. It's a big moment. They go back on the field and miraculously they tie up the game and ultimately now, again, listeners, spoiler alert, we are about to talk about the end of the movie, mm-hmm. which I have a question about. Yeah, yeah. The crowd of sort of oppressed, occupied Parisians is in ecstasy. It's like mayhem. They're rushing the field. The entire field becomes swamped with uh, occupied Parisians. And this team of POWs who had given up their chance for escape to provide this greater moral victory to all of occupied France and anyone else who was watching is embraced by this Parisian crowd. And even though they're all wearing bright red soccer uniforms, white, bright white, white. Okay. The practice was red. So um, the Parisians throw their like French, uh, sports jackets and overcoats over all of them so that they blend in the crowd and and sort of march out of the crowd in this mob of of exultant parisians as the as the nazis are all trying to like kind of get it all together all except max von Sydow, which is looking on with maybe a little bit of glee <laughs> yeah max von Sydow, this german boss this german military boss who's overseeing these prison camps his reaction at this point is not like panic or, you know, shooting into the crowd or doing whatever you would imagine, you know, the Nazis to do at this point. But he just has this like, aw, shucks kind of look on his face like, you rascals got me. <laughs> and that's, that's the end of the movie. Good game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I was watching this movie and I kept trying to imagine like a contemporary equivalent to this. Like I thought, what if, what if the United States like told all the guys in Guantanamo Bay, like (laughs) if you can make a football team that could play, you know, our all-star team, um, wouldn't that be great for morale right about now between our two countries or the, it just seems like, it speaks to me of the vast gulf of time that's happened just between World War II and today. Yeah. You would hear those stories of these guys having, you know, that, you know, it was, it would almost be like the five o'clock whistle would blow on the battle and they would like hang out on their various fronts and have a cigarette together or like sing Christmas carols together. 
Okay. Uh, I think we probably are just about out of time, but, um, uh, we've accomplished our mission. I we've had, we've done dinner and we've done a movie. That's right. I like the premise here. I think you've got something. This thing has got legs. Yeah. Well done, man. And do you have any, do you have like a, uh, a, um, signature sign off that you say to your, this is when you turn directly to your listeners and you sort of engage with them. Cause you're done with your guest at this point. I, I, I don't yet. I'm still trying to figure this stuff out, but, um, this yeah. is when you can be like talking to listeners like, Hey, what, um, you know, what, what, what kinds of, uh, dishes are you interested in hearing about? What kinds of movies do you like to hear about? Or do you want to, are you into watching? You can incorporate, you can sort of court, feedback from your listeners that's a great idea um and uh i should just have you do that i'll <laughs> be <laughs> your hype man <laughs> well thanks man i appreciate you being my first guest and uh give me some good pointers um and hopefully uh maybe we'll do maybe we'll do a flip of this sometime we're I give you a recipe and you give me a movie. I don't know. I like that too. Yeah. That way you can reward your listeners who've listened. For you And they could say like, oh, you remember our guest from the previous episode, so-and-so. Exactly. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> well, as we sign off, I'll just say to you, I really enjoyed. So that I'm trying to come up with a tagline, a, a, a sign off for you. Um, uh, oh boy. I'm in a happy state. After dinner with Nate. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, dude. Uh, All right, man. Be well. Okay, you too. And there we have it. A big thank you to Aaron. Be sure to check out his podcast, Out of the Blocks. And if you're in the Baltimore area, you can hear his soothing voice on WYPR. If you enjoyed this show, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends about it. You can follow me at Dinner with Nate on Instagram for food picks, recipes, and updates on upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>